Well, hey, good morning to you. My name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, it's just as we got to do with all of our friends up here on stage, our church really is about celebrating Jesus. And so we want to put Jesus at the center of everything that we do for all the other 11 months. And what an awesome time in the month of December to celebrate and come together and worship the King. So if you're new with us, we're grateful that you're here, glad you're here. And we've been in a series the last couple of weeks uh, entitled Worship the King, and that's what we're all about here. And so thanks for being with us today. A handful of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India, and I was able to speak at a couple of pastors' conferences there. And then I got to go far north in the country and go village to village with some of the area pastors. And so this is one of the leaders there, and uh, this guy is just an incredible man. He goes uh, six to seven days a week, and he just repeatedly starts visiting these villages, um, people that are far from God, that don't know him. And he's just regular, regularly showing up and being with them. And he offers to pray for them. How can I serve you? All of those things. And as he prays and comes week after week and being with them in their villages, the Lord comes along and will draw people to himself uh, through answered prayer. And so here's three brothers here. The two guys on the left had recently come to faith when I was there. And they, this is their third brother, uh, um, and they were praying for him. They said, hey, we're praying, they said right in front of him for this joker to come come to Christ. So, no, they were so excited. They were like middle school girls about getting their picture taken together, which was awesome. So, um, it's amazing what the Lord is doing in different places all over the world. The next picture here is of a little girl. And just as we got to worship um, and sing songs in their language, I just love the joy that she had on her face. It's a beautiful country. And you see that in this next slide here. Um, just an amazing place. And the hospitality of the people is tremendous. And uh, the last picture here, um, when I figured, when am I going to have a chance to ride a water buffalo again in my life? So uh, this, this one was there. I jumped on its back, and I felt pretty accomplished. And a little boy yelled uh, from the back of the crowd in Hindi. He said, he's no cowboy. That thing's almost dead. So um, speaking of humility, that was, that was a moment for me. But... As we boarded the train to go back hours uh, to where we were going to be for the rest of our trip, I could not get that pastor out of my head and the humility that he has and that he intentionally crosses over and puts himself out there to serve others and crosses into where they are to bring the love and good news of Jesus. And it's just a remarkable thing. And my prayer for you has been all week, that the Lord would just cause you to be blown away by his love for you through the humility of his coming and in his life. And so that's been my prayer for you all week. And the title of the message today is The Astounding Humility of the Incarnation. The Astounding Humility of the Incarnation. And just we're going to be in two passages together uh, today. The word incarnation is one we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It's a funny word. It's not one we really ever use uh, in our day-to-day language. It really just means to put on flesh or to be in flesh. And last or two weeks ago, we saw in John 1, verse 14, that Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us, that he's with us. And uh, another translation of that verse is he moved into the neighborhood. He came and put on flesh. And Pastor Paul, last week, I loved his definition of the incarnation. It's a divine person being united with a human nature. And today we're confronted out of two passages, so I invite you, uh, first we're going to start in Matthew 1. I invite you to grab your Bibles if you got them there. Um, and also, always want to talk about the Ridgewood Church app. If you don't have that, it's a great thing for you to be able to grab and just download on the Wi-Fi here now. 
And uh, we prepare every week a full outline, so you can just track along. You can take notes in the app and that sort of thing. The scriptures will be in there as well for you. You just click media, then sermon notes, and then today uh, it'll have the date there. If you want to grab the seat, uh, Bible in the seat back in front of you, page 807 is where we'll start. So Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, and uh, let me read those to us as we get going. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The first thing I want us to see out of the scriptures today is that the humility of Jesus coming really is beautiful. And so there's a picture for us to to jump into here, and that is that Mary was a teenager and living a modest lifestyle. She's been committed to or betrothed to Joseph. They're coming together in marriage soon, and their lineage is of the covenant people of God. In verse 22 speaks, it says that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to in the prophets. And so the preceding verses in this uh, chapter of Matthew, in chapter 1, is three sets of 14 generations of the covenant people of God leading up to Christ's coming, which is an important thing, that he is a historical figure, and um, it's, an, it's a major thing for us to understand out of the scriptures. The fact that Mary was a virgin is very important to us, too, because the baby, as we see multiple times, it said, comes from the Holy Spirit, is not from the union from any man. But this is something that God has done. He sent Jesus Christ as the God-man. And so to highlight that is important to our faith, and it's critical because we don't believe and we're not placing our faith in a fairy tale, but that we see the historical generations leading up to Christ. He's coming precisely when God wanted him to and just in the way that had been foretold. Isaiah 7:14 is the verse that points to that. And so Old Testament prophecies for century upon century of God's people, they were living with anticipation of this coming king. The word betrothed at this point in history, uh, I think sometimes we use that as kind of a one-to-one connection with being engaged. It actually, in their day, carried with it a lot more uh, of a commitment than what we would think of even as being engaged. And so what would take place is typically the husband's family would help him in the selection of who would be his bride, and then they would commit to each other and move into formal commitments that carried with it a significant amount of commitment. So they're in deep. That's the point that we see here. And so Joseph coming to the news of, hey, wow, um, this this woman that's going to be my wife now is carrying a child would have been really arresting to him. And as we see, he was thinking, how do I get out of that situation? I'll, I'll, and I don't want to shame her, which would have blackmarked her for the rest of her life in their culture, but I'm going to get out of it quietly. And But it says him being a man of character, he didn't want to shame her. Have you ever found yourself in to a situation that's very deep? 
and you want to figure out your own way and try to do your own thing to get out of the situation that you just want to push away from the table and not have to deal with. And have you, maybe like Joseph, right now in your life, you're experiencing something like that. And the opportunity that we have is to either take a step towards what God is doing in our life, and Joseph did, he responded to, in faith, to what the Lord had showed him, or that we can try to go our own way. And it's awesome to see, it's a great example of his faith for us, that he stepped forward in what God had called him to do. The name Emmanuel in verse 23, God with us, that the incarnation in Jesus coming really is the thing that we're celebrating, that God would put on flesh and come be with us. And so I just want to ask you, have you allowed yourself in this season to be freshly awakened to the fact that God came and he came for you? Or has the the flow of Amazon boxes coming to your doorstep kind of clouded your view? You know, we have an opportunity to really be freshly awakened. And so do you believe Personally, do you believe that Jesus came for you, that he's with you? Or do you just think that that's something that's for your spouse? That, yeah, okay, I believe the the Christmas story perhaps, or maybe that's for my spouse, or maybe that's for my grandmother, or maybe that's for my Ned Flanders-esque goody-goody neighbor who's got it all together. But do you really believe it's for you, that he loves you, that he came for you? The other thing that is so great that he comes in the form of a baby, and then as he, right before he ascends to heaven to wrap up his earthly life, he promises to the disciples and to us that would be his followers, that he would never leave us, that he'd always be with us. That's something that I regularly try to pray over my daughters as I'm putting them to bed, that they'll remember, you know, thank you, God, that you're with us, that you said you promised you'd always be with us. I want them to know that the Lord promised that. So in great humility, Jesus came as a baby, as a man, And the humility of Jesus coming really is beautiful. Now I want to switch gears, turn our attention for the rest of our time to Philippians 2. And we'll be in verses 5 through 11. And that's on page 980 uh, towards the back of your Bible there if you're tracking in the seatback Bible in front of you there. Uh, Our community group recently went through Philippians. And I just remember sitting and experiencing these verses together. And it was just such a rich time for us to experience what God is in the way that Jesus modeled humility for us. So just to set a little context here in Philippians, Paul's saying to them, hey, there's a posture, there's a mindset that you need to have and that it's yours in Christ. And so that's where we pick up uh, a life of humility here with Jesus. So look with me in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the humility of Jesus, the second thing we see in his life is exceptional. So his coming is beautiful. His life is exceptional. We see the Lord giving of himself completely for us. And I love how one scholar points out in these verses, he said, this recalls the attitude and actions of Christ as he left the glories of his preexistent state to assume humanity and die vicariously for us. So this phrase, made himself nothing, in the Greek is the word kenosis, and it really means to empty or to pour out. And it's an important thing for us to understand. It doesn't mean that Jesus is coming 
becoming any less God or divine, but that he's giving himself completely to us. And so as we see, pouring yourself out carries with it a need to have a particular sort of posture, that it changes the mindset, it costs us something. And it's not like, hey, I'll give you a little bit, a tiny percentage of me over here, and then maybe you can have another little bit over here. No, it's that he's pouring himself out completely. Good to the last drop, he's being poured out. And it's a posture that's saying, and I love this about Christ, that he's saying, you get all of me. Being poured out to empty. Taking the form of a servant and in humility, putting on flesh. There's a saying that in Christian circles uh, is frankly sometimes bothersome and annoying to me because it gets said so much. But in this particular situation is good that people would say, you may be the only Jesus that someone ever sees. And sometimes I'm just like tired of hearing that. But in one sense, it's really true because Christ came to say, hey, this is what God looks like. He's demonstrating a life of humility towards us. And he's not a domineering leader. I didn't come to be a domineering leader, but a servant. And that was what's so confounding to his covenant people. They weren't expecting it to look like that, to feel like that, for him to come as a servant. But he's entering into their world. He's entering into our world in a humble way. If you remember the movie Mary Poppins, um, it starts off as a scene in George Banks' house. And the environment is very cold and stale, and it's all about rules. And he's struggling to understand how to relate to his wife and kids, and he really wants them all to just be like his co-workers down at the bank. And he's, he just wants people to follow and be one way. Let's go this way. Let's follow the rules. And so the whole attention of the movie for the rest of the time gets turned to Mary walking alongside him and helping him see that there's a better way, there's a different way. And it's not until he realizes that he needs to lower himself, to give of himself, to enter into his kid's world, that joy really comes in the house. And so when that happens, and in humility, love is able to come in, it's a beautiful thing. So let's all go fly a kite together now. Um, It's an incredible picture, though, of somebody entering into the world and the difference that that makes. That's what Christ did for us. He he didn't stay far off as a God saying, come when you're ready to be perfect, you can come and be with me. No, he entered into our world and loved us right where we are. Being born in the likeness of man, again, in verse 7. I love uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you might, in his poverty, become rich. And you might be sitting here thinking, like, why would Jesus need to do that? What's the point of that? Is it just to give us more uh, religion and rules to follow? Is that the thing? Or is it, hey, he only came so that he could die on the cross? He did come to do that, but that's only partially correct. And that only gives us a partial picture of who Christ is. Have you ever thought that he came as an actual demonstration of humility to teach us how to live for God's glory? So in one sense, he's the prototype that he went before us as our example and did what none of us could do. He measured up and lived a perfect life in the way that none of us could. So he's the prototype in that sense, but that he's also the archetype showing us what it means to be human and that in this humble way of living on the earth, it isn't simply how God wanted to tell the story, but that he desired to redeem humanity in this way. Just saying, this is what God is like right here, Jesus Christ. So... I don't know what your background is, but I just want to encourage you that religion has never been the goal. 
And maybe you're sitting here thinking, like, that's just the thing. I've got to come and pay homage to a set of beliefs here and there. But just be encouraged to know that religion's never the goal, but knowing Christ and having a sincere, real, personal, beautiful relationship with Jesus is why he came, to make that available to us. And he did it in humility. And I just would ask, do you know him? Do you know this God that loves you so much with this kind of humility that would give himself and pour himself out for you? I love how one author says that Jesus came in the flesh to show us how to live in our flesh. He says, if we miss the incarnation when we view Jesus only through his death on the cross instead of also through his life in the neighborhood, there's stuff for us to see there. It's important for us to experience the fullness of Christ's life in this way. This whole passage beginning in verse 5 that we are to have in the mind of Christ uh, my mom always texts me and says, hey, how can I pray for you? And where, what passage are you preaching out of today? I told her this morning early, and she said, you know, that was the last verse that your grandfather said to me when I got to see him. He was a pastor here in Minnesota for a lot of years and struggled with Parkinson's for a good 25 years. And the last time she saw him, he said, have this mind that is yours in Christ Jesus. And I just love that that it speaks of the, huma- the humility and the attitude that we're able to have, that Christ was our example for us. Then in looking at verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' life is bookended with incredible acts of humility, that he comes in the form of a baby in a really humble environment. And he humbled himself all the way through his life, and then to give of himself in the way that he did on the cross that the lowest form of someone being killed was the crucifixion and that he took that on in our place, that his life is bookended with examples of humility. And I just invite you to freshly be astounded today of the humility we see in Christ, that he committed these acts for us from start to finish. And he gave himself in all of his life, every ounce of discipline, of pain, of challenge, of hurt, he took all of that on for us to live a perfect life in a life of humility. Grab a hold of a little uh, old English phrasing here from Charles Spurgeon. I love what he says on this passage. He said, He humbled himself, so be you not unwilling to humble yourself. Did you say that phrase to your kids this week? So be you not unwilling to pick up your room. Be you not unwilling to humble yourself lower than the cross Christ could not go. His death was one of such extreme shame that he could not have been more disgraced or degraded. Be you willing, though, to take the lowest place in the church of God and to render the humblest service to your brothers and sisters. Count it an honor to be allowed to wash the saints' feet. Be humble in mind. There's nothing lost by cherishing this spirit, for see how Christ was honored in the end. So let me ask you, is there something that's preventing you from walking in humility? Is there an event in your life? Is there something that's taken place that has caused you to harbor bitterness or be frustrated that's preventing you from giving your life away and walking in humility? It's a mindset that we have to carry, and I always want to ask myself, am at the core of who I am, am I walking in humility? Is that who I am? Am I following Christ in that way? To finish out this passage, we see the, the next step in God's plan And the last thing I would say to you out of the scriptures here today is the humility of Jesus explodes with exaltation. And what I mean by that is there's a result to this humility. 
a few weeks ago over the weekend of Thanksgiving. We had some friends come in town from Fort Worth, Texas, so we were trying to show them all the good Minnesota things to do. And on opening night of the Holodazzle uh, Festival, we went there, and you got to park a long way away, and you hurry in. We got our mini donuts, which is a Minnesotan thing I'm learning, and I can get behind that because they're great. But we got our mini donuts in hand. We got in place, and right as we did, the first lighting of the trees came up, and it was incredibly beautiful. And then the music starts, and then the fireworks over the pond start going. And one of our friends that was with us said, feels like we're in a Hallmark movie. This is absolutely amazing. And I thought about that as I was pondering Christ's exaltation. And as incredible as that moment was, it was a lot of fun. It doesn't hold a candle. It just pales in comparison to the beauty and the enormity of Christ's exaltation and the king being worshipped for who he is. So that's the result of humility is a worshiped and exalted Christ. That God raised Jesus to life to allow him to rule and reign over all things. And so highly exalted, a highly exalted king and savior is just the right place for this humble servant that gave himself for you and for me. It's not just manger to cross, but it's manger to cross to exaltation to the throne that he's worshiped and he rules and reigns today that he's King Jesus His living a life of humility really did embody God's character. And so to say that Christ came to show us what Jesus looks like, he brought us love and mercy. He taught us what it means to get low and speak to children. He gave us grace and justice. He embodied God's character and he said, hey, this is what God is like. And there's no name that's above his name. There's no name sweeter and no name greater. And with just a barrage of politicians that we hear about constantly in different world leaders. Let me just tell you at the end of the day that King Jesus will reign both now and forevermore, and he's the one that we worship. And that is good news for us because Jesus won. What an encouraging thing. That he crossed boundaries. He came down. He drew near to us. He humbled himself and entered into our world and showed us what God with skin on really does look like. And for those that would be his followers, he invites us into a different kind of life. He invites us to live a life of humility and a life that is incarnational as well, that we can enter into the lives of other people in the same way that he did, that he didn't remain far off. And just like that Indian pastor who would cross into villages and love people right where they were, he invites us in to do that. It's an incredible thing that God would give us that opportunity to live our lives in that way for others. Jim Campbell, I've asked him to come. Jim, if you'll come uh, now. I just wanted to have him share a story of the way God is working through his community group. And so we've got example after example of all these stories that God's doing through our church. And we always want to be faithful to share those with you. And so I've asked Jim just to come and share for a couple minutes on what God's doing through him. He's a, a guy that's been transformed by the Lord and wants to play a role in the lives of others. So let's listen. Thank you, Neil, for your message. Um, I'm still having a hard time getting this smile off my face, looking at a bona fide Texan sitting on a mostly dead water buffalo, right? It looks so dead, it looks like it was a piece of taxidermy, but I'm proud of you. What can I say? Uh, A few months ago when we started talking about community groups, I, I had some ideas come into my head. And, you know, fortunately, they've come to fruition in the last few months. Uh, A group of men here, four of us, who are in recovery, and recovery to me means people that are from the addictive community, the community of alcoholics and 
and addicts decided to start a Bible study and have that be the forum for our community group. And, you know, I've been in recovery a long time, pushing 30 years, and the one thing that I've noticed is that there's been an almost total absence of Bible study or even reference to the Bible in recovery groups. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just kind of the way it is. And so, just paint a little picture of what we're dealing with here. Anybody who is an addict or an alcoholic is beyond human aid. The 12-step literature literally says we're beyond human aid. So what does that mean? No surgery, no shots, no voodoo, no tea leaves, no maracas. We have to have him recover us. That's the only hope we have. And so God, as a, quote, higher power, is kind of soft-souled to groups, which is fine. They've got to come in. We don't want to scare them away. But at some point, we have to face the fact that God's word, in addition to recovery, is the answer to amazing sobriety and long-term recovery. Our literature in recovery says that we are in a state of hopeless mind and body and that the disease we have is fatal. And if you don't believe me, just look at the newspaper or the radio or remember the people who have died that have never overcome addictions. Seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It's fatal. And all we have is a reprieve from the compulsion in our addictions based on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. Wow. What do you think the Word does when we read it? There's nothing that has transformed my life any more than Bible study and working closely with other men and sharing our life experience. And so, I would encourage you, if you know people from the community that I'm talking about that are interested in uh, coming and kind of sampling the Bible and learning about it, uh, contact me or any of the three other guys here. We now have a group of eight. We started with four. And the four that have joined have hardly cracked a Bible their entire life. And to see them light up after only three meetings, it's just an incredible experience. And I'm really grateful that our church has set up the format for us to really do Matthew 28 in all kinds of different ways. So, thank you. It's incredible when God allows us to be a part of the lives of other people. And I just, as we close today, just want to share three thoughts with you for you to consider when it comes to living the incarnational life yourself. And we celebrate the life that Christ has lived for us, and then we want to respond to that by living for him. And so here's just a few things to consider, and maybe you would find yourself in one of these. If you only like being around people like you, then perhaps, we just submit to you that perhaps the only person you like to be around is yourself. And could that be true about you? And do you need to ask the Lord to give you a fuller perspective on your life? Some of us get so inward with the way we live our life. Could that be true about you? And just come to the Lord and say, can you give me a heart for others? That would be the first thing. Second is, for many of us, we are more 
committed, far more committed to the cause than we would ever be to a community of believers. And is there something there that God would want to do to awaken your heart towards loving others and walking in community? And so what would taking a step closer to that look like for you? And lastly, perhaps you're in a place of always receiving. And like a friend of mine that came to me a few years ago and said, Hey, I've gone to every Christian Bible study and event I can go to, and I have been reading every book possible. But what I've realized is I've turned into the Dead Sea. I've just been pouring in constantly, and I'm realizing that I'm going to start to become, and I've sensed myself, self-righteous. And I'm starting to get toxic in ways in my attitude towards people because there's not a flow out of my life. And so maybe for you, uh, that might be where you are, and you just need to ask the Lord to even have the courage to ask that question. Lord, give me the courage to even explore what other ways of me pouring myself out just in the way that you did on my behalf would look like in the lives of other people. And so be encouraged that in all of this, it's an opportunity It's not a have to, that our perspective really is that it is a get to. And God has called us into something great and modeled it for us. And he went before us and will give us the strength right where we are to walk in these things as well. So I just invite you to bow your head. And let's just pray and then we'll sit quietly for a minute. God, I'm keenly aware of the fact that in our own strength, we can't fix our problems. We can't love others better. We can't be the person that you've made us to be. We need the strength that the Spirit provides. And we follow in your example. We want to follow in the humility that you came and lived an incredible life of beauty and that you also died for us, a substitutionary death in our place. And now you reign eternally and that you conquered sin and made a way for us to relate to you. And so thank you for that. We celebrate you and we really do worship the King in this season of time. So let's just sit quietly before the Lord. Consider what he might be saying to you for a minute or two and then we'll continue in worship.